Voila. So over the last four days, as we've lingered day after day on that one passage from the Perfection of Wisdom Sutra about the cities, uh, there have been many references by the Buddha, Kamachame, and so on uh, to the jhanas, and especially to the fourth jhana, to mastering all the jhanas, Buddha Gosa, mastering all the samapatis, even in the formless realm. So a lot of references to that. But over the last 45 years that I've been studying and practicing Dharma and been introduced to and been guided in many, many meditation manuals and so on uh, from all traditions, all the four traditions, Tibetan Buddhism, I've never found one meditation manual that was really intended for you to sit down and practice that actually gave practical instructions on achieving, fully achieving the first, second, third, fourth jhana and so forth. The study of these academically, and they have very, very fine teachings on them. I mean, outstanding, really precise. But when you get to the practice literature, there is something of a difference, whether there should be or shouldn't be, but there is. But in the Galupa tradition, it's Lamrim. It's Lamrim, and then it's, frankly, it's stage regeneration and completion. Uh, and that's it. And that takes you all the way to enlightenment. And in the Kagyu tradition, it's their Lamrim. It's Kampopas Jewel Ornament or one of the others. It's the six yogas, that of good, and then, of course, including the Mahamudra. It's the six yogas Naropa, stage of generation completion. Um, same for the Sakya tradition, very strong emphasis. They have their own Lamde, the kind of Lamrim, then stage of generation completion, Vajra Yogini, He Vajra, Shakrasambhada, very strongly emphasized. Uh, and then the Nyingma tradition, again, has extensive teachings, their own Lamrim, words of my perfect teacher, Lamrim. And then a lot of emphasis, of course, on the preliminaries. And then stage of generation, completion. Termanakmo, uh, for example, the, uh, kind of like, almost like a variation on Vajrayagini, but black. Uh, very, very strongly emphasized. Um, stage of generation, completion. Mahayoga, Anuyoga. Same. Very strongly emphasized. And then, of course, there's Adi Yoga. So we have Mahamudra, we have Dzogchen literature. And I've been introduced to a fair amount of that over the last 25 years. And in none of any of those are there any references that I've ever seen in the Tibetan tradition for the last 1,200 years that gives detailed accounts of and emphasis on the importance of actually achieving, fully achieving the first jhana, second, third, fourth. So are they missing something? Well, no, they all agree that access to the first jhana is sufficient samadhi to be able to venture into all of these other practices with full effectiveness. In other words, you achieve, you reach the path, you perceive the path, you come to the completion of the path. If you're following Bodhisattva Yana purely, just Sutrayana all the way, without any of these Vajrayana practices, then it's pretty clear. You go to the, to the, uh, the Abhisamaya Lankara, you do need to achieve all of the jhanas. And it's also, it also takes you three countless eons, you know, from start to finish. That's the short, shorter version that Dalai Lama said sometimes it takes seven. I'd be frankly after, disappointed after three countless eons if I wasn't going to put in that, oh, I'm one of the seven, oh, jeez, four more. <laughs> It'd become a bit daunting to me, I think. But there it is. So if you're following that very gradual path, then yeah, you definitely, there's no question. The Bodhisattvas will achieve all of those jhanas, and they, especially on the, the uh, advanced stage, the great stage of the Mayana path of accumulation. They'll be coming in there. Big emphasis on the paranormal abilities there, the cities. Uh, but all of Tibetan Buddhism, I mean, there's every school, every sub-school, they're all using the Sutrayana as a launching pad for going into Vajrayana. Above all, state regeneration completion, and then Mahamudra Dzogchen, to varying extents. Um, 
And the point here being that all those cities, all those benefits that you would otherwise get step by step by step, you know, getting of the jhanas and so forth, you pick up all of those in stage regeneration and stage of completion. All the cities, all the benefits are there. They come by the by with more advanced technology. That's really basically what it is. You can get it with a cruder technology, with the nimittas and the form realm and mastering all of that. It's brilliant because it's so transparent, you know. It's just, I mean, I find it very inspiring just because I, I can really see it, you know. I can understand it. But in a much more subtle way, profound way, and sophisticated way, drawing on the teachings of emptiness, realization of emptiness, drawing on the power of empowerment, of guru yoga, of visualization, of mantra, the chakras and the nadis. You've moved into a whole other dimension here. Much, frankly, it's higher tech. It's high tech. High tech meditation. You get all the same benefits from stage of generation completion without practicing Mahamudra Dzogchen. It's all, I mean, it's a complete path. Tsongkhapa didn't teach Mahamudra Dzogchen. He certainly taught a complete path. No question. To my mind, there's no question about that. Focusing just on this, uh, this lineage, this, well, I've received different lineages, but the one that I, you know, emphasize a lot, the Dujum lineage, the Dujum Dersa, uh, gives very, very clear, precise teachings on shamatha, all the way up to access to the first jhana, to dissolution of the substrate consciousness, emphasizes it again and again, and then makes no, no reference, not even one reference, in all the five works on Dzogchen, not a single reference, to achieving the first jhana, the second, third, fourth, and so on. None. It's that, and then stage of generation completion are optional. What is not optional is the shamatha is indispensable, realization of emptiness is indispensable, realizing rikpa indispensable. For some people, that's actually sufficient. The really gifted ones, they don't even have to practice tutgyal. They can just go right to rainbow body with just resting in rikpa. But most people, they'll need that. And so then you have the, the culminating phase, the, uh, the leap over, phase of tutgyal. So, and then you say, well, wait a minute, if you skip stage regeneration completion or just do them lightly without fully accomplishing them, uh, which is rather common. We see here in the, in the Gagyu tradition from Kamechamera Rinpoche, he never said anything about completing the stage regeneration. He gave the Chenri Z practice, very simple, no mandala, very simple, and then proceeded right from there to Shamata, the Pashana, and right into Mahamudra and Dzogchen, and Tutgel, and then Rainbow Body. He never talked about you know, elaborate, elaborate practices of stage regeneration or completion. So then where does it come? And it comes very clearly. It comes all those cities, all the, that depth of compassion, all the extent of wisdom, of so forth and so on, comes in the Dzogchen tradition from the Tekchut and the Tutkal. The cutting through to pristine purity, original purity of Rigma, the direct crossing over to act- the spontaneous actualization. All the cities come through there. And they come spontaneously. That is, you don't go out of your way to seek them. You're not doing any particular t- techniques. You're just staying right on the straight road of realizing Rikpa, dwelling in Rikpa, and then, when you, re- when you really can do that, then venture fully into the Tudgel. And you don't do anything separate to develop cities or existential perception or anything. It just all comes spontaneously, right from the same main practice. Now, the one point I'd like to make before we go in, and that is the substrate consciousness, or access to the first jhana. What is absolutely imperative, and all schools of Buddhism agree on this, and it seems like all schools of Buddhism are not ignoring it, but kind of, 
marginalizing it, the importance of achieving this access to the first jhana, what's the big deal? I could spend an hour on that, but very simply, but just looking at the teachings of the Buddha, if your five obscurations are down, they're down, they're dormant, they're out of the way, and then the five jhana factors are at your fingertips, that's the big deal. On a subtler level, uh, you have this shift, the shift in the body, the energy system, and shift in your mind of pliancy, prashrapta, that pliancy, buoyancy, malleability. Tsongkhapa really emphasizes this. This is the big deal about achieving shamatha. It's this fundamental energy shift in your whole body. It's a whole new platform. And unless you do something really crazy, you keep it for the rest of your life. That was from His Holiness. right? And then corresponding to this very shuttle, extreme fine-tuning of the prana system within your body, there's a corresponding fine-tuning of your mind. Your mind is pliable, malleable, supple, ready for work, and you keep that for the rest of your life. That's your new space camp for everything, for bodhicitta, for tonglen, for everything. And so there it is, indispensable. Right? But now the, the great challenge here, and, and they all recognize it, all the, all the great yogis in, in Tibet recognized it, is that when you have come to rest in this subtle continuum of mental consciousness, use Galupa terminology, and you are experiencing this bliss, luminosity and non-capsuality, uh, I'll say it, said it before, so I'll say it very briefly now, there's going to be an enormous temptation to stop. Because, and stop for, you have three really good reasons to stop. Any one of them would be a really good reason to stop, let alone three altogether. You know, that is, there's the bliss, and some people said, "I don't need anything more, thank you." You know, and if they don't have deep renunciation, they say, that, "That's what I wanted, and I can have it whenever I want, whenever I go in, I've got it." You know, and they'll be stuck, stuck on that one. Some the luminosity, that's all they really wanted, and they get stuck. Others. This profound peace of non-conceptuality. That's all I wanted. This is as close to nirvana as I care about. I'm finished. I'm done. Thank you. Thanks a million. And then bye. You know. And it's falling to the extreme of quiescence. Quiescence is shamat, actually, in this context. Um, and that's the big pitfall. That you needed to get there, but once you're there, you'll want to just burrow in and stay. And if you do, then but they all say, they all say, the Buddha himself says, everybody says, you have not moved one hair's breadth on the, on the path to enlightenment. You got so close, you got right onto the on-ramp, right where the, 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 the light is turning red and green, red and green in the United States. You got right there, and then you just turn off your engine, and you sit back and say, I made it on the on-ramp. <laughs> and that means you've not, made one, you've not moved one inch on the freeway because you got right to the freeway, and then you just, I'm happy. I'm out of the traffic. There's a green light. Hi. You fall asleep at the wheel. Final point. So so this may sound abstract, and that's later, later, and no, no, no worry, no problem. I haven't gotten there. I'll, I'll deal with that when, that when I come with it. Yeah, that's the biggest of my problems, you know. Cool. <laughs> Prepare now. Because you won't know what hits you when you get there. If you're not prepared, you'll give all the lip service, yeah, I'm not going to be attached. <laughs> you have to be doing this all the way along. A number of you are already experiencing spikes 
spikes of bliss, spikes of enjoyment, spikes of serenity, spikes of stillness, spikes of peace, spikes of luminosity, vividness, clarity. Quite a number of you are. They come, they go, oh, Tuesday was really good, Wednesday not so great. Oh, you know, I experienced this, I experienced that. It's good. These are good. These are all signs of the path, signs of progress along the path. But it starts now. And that is when these spikes come up. Be present with them. And just be at ease, loose, totally present, with no preference. If you can't do it for the little spikes of bliss, luminosity, and non-conceptuality that come up, you know, in stages one, two, three, four, if you just totally glom onto those, then forget about it. When you're up there at shamatha, you're going to totally be sucked in. So that skill of looseness, of non-grasping, of non-preference, of one taste, and it's all about this. Here goes up my finger again. That is my index finger for those listening by podcast. It's that stillness, that stillness, that that freedom from grasping, that unflickering candle flame, the stillness in the midst of the motions of bliss, luminosity, non-conceptuality. Because if you're drawn to them now, and I've heard this so many times from from you and a number of you in your in our meetings, that um, you know you were just practicing along, and then something really cool happened, and then it didn't, and then how can I get that back? How can I get that back? Where was that? Where was it? What can I do? What can I do? I got to get that back. Where is it? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I'm gonna find a little sucker. I'm gonna track it down. And I'm gonna get it again. And that's just the wrong way to go about it. It's just, it's kind of like a neon sign, I'm grasping. You know? So you need to break that habit now. You need to break the habit for the grasping to the pleasant yum. And equally, 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 you need to release the grasping to the unpleasant yum. The emotions that come up, they're not all pleasant. Sadness, one person mentioned just sadness coming out of the blue. I said, was there a referent? Nope. Was it real sadness? Yep. And it lasted, I think, in this case, a couple of days. And it's, and it's well, it's pretty easy to have that cognitive fusion. That I'm sad. I'm sad. And then with no referent. Then that's a yum. That's a yum. Well, that's a yum for sure. I'm anxious. I'm fearful. I'm excited. I'm bored, I'm depressed, I'm worthless, I probably never achieve shamatha. I, 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 the cognitive fusion. It's ever so easy to fuse with the unpleasant yam and think, oh, I'm such a loser, I'll never never get anywhere, everybody else is doing well, but not me, and then to identify with the pleasant yam. So, if you're not started, start today. This is a skill that's needed to progress along the path, to get to shamatha, and to keep on moving. So when you're on the on-ramp, you've made it to the freeway, and the light turned green, hit the accelerator and get out on the freeway. You know, don't stop. Well, also, let's go and practice. Let's have a silent session. I think you know what to do. As you're settling in, I'd just like to remind everyone that um, chatting, socializing, unnecessary conversation does tend to give a lot of replays in the mind. And so I would really encourage you, 
if you really decide you want to talk, you find a willing partner, please go someplace distant. Because if you're in an environment where other meditators are, they may be obliged to listen in on your conversation without their wish. So let's really cleave to uh, the silence. And if you wish to speak, it's your call. But go to a quiet place where other people will not be part of your conversation. So we have just a short time. What? That's good. Okay. We have just a short time. I'm just wondering whether there might be any questions or comments from any of those who are auditing this retreat or any of those who don't have your interviews with me, just so I could have a bit of personal engagement. Anything coming up about this practice? Very specific. Yes, please. I know your name, but please say it out loud. And the microphone is coming. If, or maybe you need to come to it. Should John come over? Yes. Uh, John, if you could come over. And John, please say your first name. <laughs> uh, John. Why don't you sit down? So sit down. <laughs> Come up. Microphone closer to your mouth. Yeah. When thoughts come up, yeah. Um, if they're, you know, obviously uh, non-virtuous or yeah, grasping whatever. Sure. Um, so you don't apply an antidote. Nope. Aren't we uh, accumulating? Um, you know, at, at our where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't that familiarizing my mind with the negative? Uh, I think I understand. And reinforcing. I think I understand. Yeah. Um, and the question had the emphasis was from where you are. Um, you are about two feet away from me, so that's actually quite close. And that's a very good, it's a very good question. It's relevant to everybody in the room and everybody listening by podcast. Enormously relevant. I'm glad you've raised it. Uh, insofar as, it's not a yes or no, but insofar as it's a gradient. Insofar as there is cognitive fusion, identification with the mental affliction, some unwholesome mental state, yeah, then you are, uh, you are reinforcing a habit. That's true. And if that's... And if there's a good deal of grasping, a good deal of this fusing with, getting caught up, getting caught in the grip of the desires, emotions, and so forth and so on, then then uh, make sure that you're doing other practices and giving them a lot of effort. The lojong, the lamrim, uh, four applications of mindfulness, the four immeasurables. That's why we have all, all of these practices. Come back to the theme yesterday that we have this naturally abiding Buddha nature, you know, we have, or and let's say the analog is just the stillness of awareness, and then we have the mind that we're observing. Well, as we proceed along the path, the mind that we're observing is going to get better and better. That's the whole idea. So after a while, mental afflictions hardly come up at all. Then they don't come up at all. And compassion's just surging up and, you know, and so forth and so on. So the mind we're observing, it definitely does need to evolve. But now, this practice, which you know, is completely endorsed by Penjana Muchi, so there's, there's no sectarian issue here at all. 
of one school being for, another one against, embraced by all of them. Insofar as, when some unwholesome mental state, a mental affliction comes up, insofar as you can remain there in the stillness of your own awareness and simply be aware of it, without getting caught up, carried away by it, be aware of the mental affliction without being fused with it, and then having your attention go to the referent of the mental affliction, whether it's craving, hostility, jealousy, whatever it may be. As soon as that happens, then, yeah, whether or not you're accumulating negative karma, there's a bit of nuance there, but are you reinforcing an old habit of mental afflictions? Yeah, as soon as there's cognitive fusion. But the whole point of this practice, and that was the whole point of my prefatory comments for this last session, was familiarize yourself. Go deeper and deeper and deeper in resting in the stillness of your awareness, even when bliss, luminosity, and non-conceptually arises, so that you're not caught up in them, carried away by them, cognitively fused with them. At the same time, you're not pulling away from them. It's not dissociation. So it's not that. That's one extreme. And it's not cognitive fusion. That's the other extreme. It's like my being with you right now for five seconds. I think you sense I wasn't withdrawing from you, but I'm also not leaping over to give you a hug or try to get you to like me or anything like that. It was just being totally present with you. It's like that. So this is the word of the great masters. And that is, if you're simply observing these mental afflictions arising, um, you know, just arising in the space of your mind, you are not accruing any negative karma. You are not reinforcing old negative habits. But on the contrary, by resting in the stillness of your awareness and observing these mental afflictions or unwholesome states arising and then having no owner, no one to possess them, no one to fuse with them, you're observing them arise and then without moving, they're the motion, you're still. Without moving, you observe them, release themselves. Rang dul, release themselves. And that is a really incredibly powerful message. And it's everywhere in Mahamud and Dzogchen. It doesn't come up more in the. It doesn't come up much, if at all, in the developmental approach, like Shantideva. I mean, the revered Shantideva. I think you have some idea how how, how profoundly I revere him. I don't recall his using the term rangdo in the whole text, but he gives this massive array, like like a great physician, this tremendous array, this pharmacopoeia of all these ways of dealing with this mental affliction, all the way up to reification, up in the wisdom chapter of how to remedy them, how to fix them, okay? It's, and, you know, Bhattu-Ramache, Bhattu-Ramache. And it's from him that uh, Kunulamadramache received the lineage of the Bodhicharvatara, who in turn received, uh, His Holiness, you know, received it from him. The great Bhattu-Ramache was a great Dzogchen master. He was a great Nyingma a great Nyingma Lama, great Dzogchen master. And he taught Bodhicharvatara, I can't remember the exact number, I think 135 times during his lifetime. And he's a Dzogchen master. He said, what are you messing around with that? Why don't you just take Tektrit and Turtgel? Well, because this is really good medicine. But it's not the only medicine. And so this is the complementarity. The young, the young of the Bodhicharvatara and the yin of Dzogchen, of Mahamudra. And that is simply being present with, in this subtle way, this unflickering candle flame of your awareness, and then observing them just coming up. And then it's almost like they're, they're looking around for a host. You know, like a, like it's, like a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a mosquito that has malaria, looking around for somebody's blood to suck, and then not finding any, and they're just dying. They have short, short lifespan, and they're just dying a natural death. They do, 
these mental afflictions have a short lifespan if they don't find a host. If they do find a host, oh, they have a very long, have a much longer lifespan than you do. <laughs> They'll be around forever. So don't give them a host. They can come into your space. Don't give them a host. And then they will just release themselves. And that will start to give you some real confidence. Gautrinamuchi once commented to a group of his students who had been studying with him, practicing under his guidance for years and years and years. And he said, a number of you are still quite dissatisfied with your level of progress. That, you, know, you thought you'd be further along the path and so forth. Uh, and I can tell you why you've not been progressing that much. Your lack of faith. But I'm not referring to your lack of faith in me or the Dharma, the Buddha, Padmasambhava. Your lack of faith in yourselves. That's what's slowing you up. Your lack of faith in yourselves. Right? In Dzogchen, your ultimate refuge, your explicit refuge is Rigpa. And not somebody else's Rigpa. And not a Rigpa you'll have one day when you're really good. When you're Vijidata, what have you. The Rigpa's already there. And by seeing this for yourself, it's an inside job of faith. We can be very impressed by a teacher. Some teachers are magnificent. Gyawa Kamapa, for example, the 16th Kamapa, blew people away just by a sheer presence. His whole name is Dalai Lama, Dingo Kenzo Rinpoche, Dujun Rinpoche, Ben Rinpoche, Yang Rinpoche. Just being in the presence of these great beings can give rise to a lot of faith. But then, of course, they go away, you go away. Eventually, they pass away. Now, where's your faith? It may still be there. But if your faith is coming, and it's not yes or no, which, which one's right, it's fantastic to be inspired by such people. But once you find faith from your own continuum, and you see for yourself, not by somebody else saying something or what have you, you see some, by yourself from your own experience how your mind does have a capacity to heal, to release, to free itself, when you're just not exacerbating the problem. And exacerbating the problem is identifying with every doggone thing that comes up. You know, everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the neutral, the boring. Fusing with all of it. The Buddha said this is the root of suffering. This close cleaving to, this identification with our bodies, our mental states, processes. This is the root of suffering right there. That's Pali canon. That's fundamental Buddhism. You've heard it before, I'm sure. And so we're going right to the, right the, the taproot here, in this simple shamatha practice. And that is, okay, to the best of my ability, I'm going to stop doing that. And even if some Mara comes up, some Mara, some negative, you know, like an embodiment of some real nasty stuff coming up, including afflictive, afflictive uncertainty and so on, just to stare right in the face. And in this practice, you don't even have to, you don't even need to have a conversation. Vajira had a conversation. She applied Vipassana. She's very bright. She conquered Mara with her Vipassana. Because she came right back at him. He came up. She clobbered him. She, she knocked him out. He went away dejected and depressed. Man, she beat me up. You know. But this one, Mara comes up. You just stare him down. Oh. Mara goes, still goes away dejected. Oh. So, give a lot of disappointment to Mara. <laughs> Final comment. It raises... So it raises the question of uh, about a virtuous thought coming up. Um, as as I understand where, where you're going, and I'm going to quote Gautama even if a, if a thousand Buddhas come to you, they will not bless you. Even if a thousand Maras come to you, they will not harm you. You don't need 
The Course of Maya. Remember? What's the Course of Maya of Dzogchen? Amy? Do not look for the Buddha outside yourself. It comes in the Zen tradition when understood properly. If you see the Buddha, kill him. Okay? Now, I've seen one incredibly disgusting interpretation of that where the guy hates religion and he said, if you, have, if you see any religious aspect of Buddhism, knock it out. What? Nonsense. But of course that's not the meaning of these great Dzogchen masters or these great Zen masters. Of course not. If you're reifying the Buddha as outside of yourself, Beate, if I say anything incorrectly, you know it's much better than I. And I'm serious. If I say something right, please just jump right up. But my interpretation of Zen, in which I have no training at all, is that if you see the Buddha as something objective and you reify it, then kill it. You're not killing the Buddha. You're killing your reification. You're cutting the root of samsara by cutting your, and expecting the blessing is going to come from outside, something outside, like that. You know, The Buddha is your own rikpa. The Buddha is your own Buddha nature. Right? And so even if a virtuous thought comes up in this practice, let it be. It came to your mind. It'll go right back in again. You know. But this is just allowing the mind to heal, transform, such that the, the virtues, compassion, kindness, empathy, they just start flowing out. Bear in mind the highest type of compassion, and this is, again, accepted in all schools of Tibetan Buddhism, the highest kind of compassion is called mikbet ninje, mikbet ninje, objectless compassion. And that's where there is no referent that one is identifying and reifying. And then wishing, may you be free of suffering. May you be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. This is still good. This is called tainted compassion. Because it's still tainted by reification. That, oh, these tragic people here in this part of the world, this person, this person, this person, oh, I will pray for you. I will send you Dongmen. I reified I. You reified you. I wish you to be free of suffering. It's certainly much better than malice. It's a virtue. But it's a much deeper virtue to let your virtue be totally untainted by any kind of reification at all. Was that okay, Beate? Do you have any comments to, on... Did, was that okay what I said? Okay, thank you. Good. Very good. Very important question, John. Thank you. We'll do this again. We'll do it again. It's good. All right. Enjoy your day. Let's continue practicing.